Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, listen up. You there? You listening? You paying attention? If you're sick and tired of the commercials on the show, like the one I'm reading right now, I have some great news for you. For just $15 per month on our Patreon page, you can get the ultimate edition of this podcast, and it's entirely commercial-free. Here's what that means. The Ultimate Edition combines the free version of the podcast with the Shadow Docket show that we record after the end credits. Plus, we take out all the commercials just for you. That means you get the hour-long free show plus the 20-minute Shadow Docket show where all the real fun happens, and you get all of that without commercials in one convenient chunk for just $15 per month. That's bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hi, Bob. Oh, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hello. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Thursday, August 10, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hello there, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 932 of the Biden-Harris administration, 452 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram and threads, the Bob Seska. That's my handle there. Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. Still calling it Twitter. Spoutable is Bob Seska, and our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. And those people right over there are the goth ninjas. Yeah. It is Jody Hamilton, the executive producer of The Stephanie Miller Show. StephanieMiller.com, also sexyliberal.com, etc. I assume, what is it, patreon.com slash Stephanie Miller, Jody? I think so. Okay, there you Should go. Should I look at it? I have my computer in another room. <laughs> Where nope. all that information is. But I think it is, yeah. We're taking an educated guess then. Uh, and David Ferguson, we call him T-Rex. His music project is Astral Summer. Patreon.com slash Astral Summer. Sign up now, okay? Thank you. All right. Here we are. Um, yeah, we are going to live stream. Oh. What? I was just going to say, for subscribers, we're going to live stream our show on September 3rd on Patreon. Nice. Oh, um, oh, you are. Yes, I, I am. I thought you were talking uh, about our Patreon. I had plans for nothing no, like that. No, me. Okay. All right, gotcha. Sounds great. And that's going to be free? You're going to, you have to sign up to hear that? You have to be a subscriber to okay. get that one. What level? Oh, just even like a dollar a month. Okay. Just Sounds as good. As long as you're like a subscriber. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to just stomp on everything right there. I just uh, was so excited that I had to blurt it out. Well, we're doing promo, so it's appropriate. It's appropriate to do it right now. So, yeah, make sure to go to patreon.com slash astralsummer. Thank you. All right. Sounds great. So uh, just turning from that to this gigantic tragedy in Hawaii where the entire town of Lahaina appears to have been flattened, like a nuclear bomb went off. Jody, you have lived there. Did you live in Lahaina or you have friends in Lahaina? We, my parents had a place in Kapalua 
Lahaina was between Kapalua and where I went to school up in Makawa. Okay. And um, so in the weekends we were in uh, Kapalua and on Monday mornings we'd drive to school. Yeah, Monday mornings we'd drive to school or Sunday night we'd drive to school and stay there until the weekends. And Uh so drove through Lahaina all the time, went to Lahaina all the time, you know, on the weekends, certainly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's devastating. Um, I've heard from some of my friends on the island that they're okay, but there's two outstanding that I have yet to hear from. And I know communication is down, so hopefully that's the reason I haven't heard from them, but, but the death toll keeps going up. <sighs> and, um, I mean, a friend of mine said it was he learned how to be a firefighter with shovels and sand the other day. Um, and he lives up country, uh, cool aside, um, yeah, yeah. where the fires up country seem to be under control and the fire um, in Kihei seems to be under control. It's just the winds were... They had a hurricane so far south that they didn't get any rain from it. They just got the winds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the striking things about seeing the video of the fires is the wind just whipping it all around. And it yeah. it, it kind of makes sense in an awful kind of way that the fire spread as quickly as it did and was mm-hmm. so devastating because it was just, it was sort of like, I kept going back to the Santa Rosa wildfires that Kimberly yeah, and I lived It reminded through. me of that, of you telling that story when I looked at the devastation of Lahaina. I mean, there's satellite pictures and then there's on the ground pictures of cars burned out. Yeah, yeah. It was exactly um, like that because- I heard people were like jumping into the sea. Yeah. Yeah. People were- They're still looking for boats that yeah. are missing. They're still this looking for boats. This is my whole fear about going to Hawaii. I was like, if something really bad happens, there's kind of nowhere to run except into the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if everybody's trying to get out at the same time, then you've got traffic issues. And and things like that, you know. Yeah. So, and that's the issue with mm, what happened. Because um, there's not a whole lot of backwards. stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, same. You know, I do too all over Maui, but you know, it's just um. And then the Big Island's on fire too. So in places where you wouldn't expect it to be on fire. Yeah. And I have a friend that lives on the Hilo side, so I'm not concerned about him because they're not over there, thank God. But Yeah, I, that would be insane if suddenly there were wildfires on the Hilo side because Hilo yeah. is one of the, isn't it the wettest town in the United States or the most it's rainfall them, in the United States? Yeah, mm. so if there is a situation where there's a wildfire, a series of wildfires in Hilo, that's when we really got to start panicking because- yeah that would indicate a serious deficit in the rains there and the moisture there. And that would be, I think, a bellwether for uh, much more serious conditions. And the thing with Lahaina, and, and the same goes for Kona on the Big Island, it's a desert climate there. And so consequently, there is the possibility of brush fires and wildfires breaking out. But then when you get the confluence of both the fires because of the dry climate and then those extreme winds... Yeah. then it can get really bad. Like I remember in Kona, there was some wildfires, but there was north of town. It wasn't really near any populated areas. It was just out the brush and the lava fields and so on. And it was still kind of crazy to see that. It was still apocalyptic to see it. But again, going back to the Santa Rosa wildfires, which were really driven by the insane winds. Mm-hmm. They're really referring to the Santa Rosa wildfires as firestorms because that's how the fire was. It was because of the winds, the fire was able to jump the 101 and land on the other side, which is where a lot of the population is in the Santa Rosa area, and thus devastating large swaths, whole neighborhoods flattened. Looks so similar. And with Lahaina, there's an additional level of tragedy, I think, when it comes to Hawaiian towns. 
Yeah, I because mean the history so, in that that town. Yeah. It's like, it, there's so much history in those buildings, and and a friend of mine's house burned down, um, and, mm. and his mother had it built, and it was her dream home, and mm. and it's just like the history that is in Lahaina, especially because it's such an old town. Yeah, yeah, and plus the scenic splendor yes. of Hawaii, the contrast between the devastation. I just go to Google Maps and Google yeah. Lahaina, Maui. And yeah. just do a street view of Front Street in Lahaina. Yeah. Seeing the way it on it fire was devastating. I, I burst into tears several times yesterday watching the news. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. So obviously, California and Hawaii are the they're like it's uh, they're the most. It's like you got you want mountains? Oh, we got those. Beaches got them. Yeah, rainforest got it. Snow, <laughs> Snow. desert we got it. <laughs> right. You know why would you ever need to go anywhere else? Yeah, you yeah, <laughs> but. I, it's so, I mean, it's just, I, the thing that always gets me about these situations is the people who had to just abandon everything they've owned. Yeah. And then, you know, the, and, no. Did you see the couple that was interviewed on um, Katie Chur yesterday? No. No. They had to get out so quickly because it was moving like the Santa Rosa fire so fast that they didn't have time to collect much. They couldn't find their cat because the smoke was so heavy. No. Oh, horrible. So hopefully okay, the cat well, got that's out. that's it for me. Bye, guys. I started crying the then. Done. David's out. They couldn't find their cat, and it's like because it came through so quickly. Yeah. And so hopefully, I mean, you know, there are <laughs> the Malibu fires, mudslides, things like that. Animals somehow, sometimes make it, and I hope their little kitty is found. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing. It's like animals. Um, it, 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 it's heartbreaking. I mean, look at this. There's a lot of things right now that are showing before and after of just Lahaina. And it's, it's, it, it does look like a nuclear bomb went off there. Yeah. And I like to remind people whenever there's a Hawaii story that comes up, <laughs> if you remember, there was a George Clooney monologue at the beginning of the descendants about mm-hmm. what it's like to live in Hawaii, that it's not, we're not all sipping Mai Tais and surfing no, God, all the no. time. These are real people with real lives and real problems and things that match everything that the rest of us on the mainland go through every damn day. And so in that regard, we can't downplay what's happened in Hawaii just because it is beautiful there. And there is this stereotype that uh, everyone's checked out, you know, on a permanent vacation. I'm trying to find this uh, this clip. I want to play this clip from uh, the same thing about New Orleans, but it's. New Orleans is a port city. There is a lot of money and a lot of business that moves through there. Mm -hmm. All right, let me play this George Clooney monologue from the beginning of The Descendants because I I found this so appropriate. I saw this movie when I was living in Hawaii, and I was like, yes, this is is it. This is the thing. Hawaii, as beautiful as it is, it's still real life. My friends on the mainland think just because I live in Hawaii, I live in paradise, like a permanent vacation. We're all just out here sipping Mai Tais, shaking our hips and catching waves. Are they insane? Do they think we're immune to life? How can they possibly think our families are less screwed up, our cancers less fatal, our heartaches less painful? Hell, I haven't been on a surfboard in 15 years. For the last 23 days, I've been living in a paradise of IVs and urine bags and tracheal tubes. Paradise? Paradise can go fuck itself. And you see, the thing with me, and, and I know we're spending a lot of time on this and there are other issues to get to, but I just have to say, from a personal point of view, 
watching Both those. Of you have deep emotional connections to that island. Well, yeah, but there's there's yeah, that, okay. but th- there's also David the fact that I have survived not only a gas explosion but a, a house fire that happened nine years after the gas explosion, and then Kimberly and I went through the Santa Rosa wildfires where at any given second our entire uh, household and all of our belongings could have been incinerated. We we got out of it fine. We didn't lose anything, but it was immensely triggering based on the fact that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember the gas explosion because I was only a year old, because uh, it was 1972. But in 1981, yeah, I remember every second of that one, that fire. And I was worried that you were on Maui. You were, you were, you're the fire guy, so <laughs> I was kind of worried. That's right. Oh no, that's actually how we're going to make Fonnie William, Fonnie Wilson, uh, Willis, what? Willis's Willis. indictments drop at 4 p.m. today. Oh, <laughs> by recording. That's right. Like, you're well, welcome, everybody. Yeah, in, in in the future. I have this weird history with both fire and flood damage because every house or every I should say every property I've owned has also flooded. Personal belongings destroyed by either fire or water at some point or another. And so is, I always warn people, you know, look, uh, my life is kind of like Spinal Tap drummers. You never, <laughs> never know when something awful is going to happen. And uh, but still, when I see these videos and the commentary that goes along with them from the people who are living there, it's just my, my empathy goes to a thousand percent of where it normally is. It's an awful, awful tragedy to lose a loved one. But let us not discount the tragedy of losing everything you have, losing not only your home and all of your belongings, but everyone around you, your entire community is devastated. And then you wonder, okay, if we rebuild here, is this going to happen again? It's like one of the reasons we bugged Mm. out in Northern California, Kimberly and I, after the Santa Rosa wildfires in 2017, was because, okay, we escaped this time. What happens next time? Right. Right. You know what I mean? And next time you feel like a real sucker. <laughs> yeah. And you wonder the question comes up, should we rebuild because it could just happen again? And that's what my parents did. Our house exploded from a gas explosion in 1972. And my parents decided, well, this property is really great. It's on a cul-de-sac. There's it's uh, disaster proofed. Yeah, we're near. <laughs> we're near we're the in a great... odds of this happening again. Exactly. Just, uh, yeah. So they rebuilt. They rebuilt the house, and then nine years after the gas explosion, you know, it wasn't the whole house, but half the house burned down again. So you know, you can't you can't toy with fate. <laughs> the things sure, that yeah, doesn't work for the mafia. Uh, No, no, he absolutely does not. There was a conspiracy going around in uh, like the late 90s when I first got on the internet. I, I of course, Googled my name. Or I didn't Google because Google didn't exist. But I went to Yahoo or one of the other search engines at the time. Metacrawler. Yeah, exactly right. And I Googled my name. And, of course, my dad has the same name. And one of the search results came up. There was a conspiracy theorist at the time who referred to my dad as the highest-ranking mafia official in the United States government. <laughs> and, of course, that made me laugh out loud that like I just right did. right off the rails. Highest-ranking mafia official in the United in States the government. US government. Yeah, because my dad was the uh, acting inspector general of the Treasury when he retired. And so he was high-ranking in the government, but there's no way my dad was ever in the mafia. Besides, our family yeah, is— Yeah, but what about your uncles? 
Our family is Northern Italian. The mafia hates Northern Italians. So, they, they, I mean, just eliminate that from an ethnic point of view. That sounds like something Northern Italians tell themselves. <laughs> <laughs> As they arrange contracts and sanitation. Yeah, no. We're not the, mafia. It's just a family business. Yeah, it's all yeah. Southern Italy and Sicily. So, <laughs> don't worry. There's no connection there. I would know by now. You didn't just, not. like, occasionally get a new TV. It fell off the truck. Yeah, exactly right. All right, hey, you know what? Let's talk about Ohio issue one. Because that, yeah. was, a, that yes. was a big deal. Uh, we talked about this, obviously, with Cliff Schecker on the interview show yesterday. He is, of course, the king of Ohio. So it was great that we had Cliff <laughs> on to talk about Ohio issue one failing miserably. Thank uh, God. Last time I checked, Jody, wasn't it uh, like a 14-point spread? 14-point 14, 14 uh, spread last I checked. So I'm, I'm sure they're still counting absentee ballots. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it won. It was a mandate. It won. Yeah. It went down, I mean. It went down in a blaze of glory. And so what they wanted to do, in case you've missed the last couple of shows, what they wanted to do, the Republicans and the Attorney General in Ohio, is they wanted to raise the threshold for passing ballot initiatives from uh, you know a, a simple majority of 51% to 60%. Right. Knowing that this fall, there's going to be a ballot initiative on the ticket that will legalize abortion, restoring abortion rights in Ohio. And it is enormously popular. And you can tell how popular it is by the fact that Ohio issue one, which would have prevented this uh, pro-choice ballot initiative, this constitutional amendment, it, it failed miserably. So, and that was a bunch of people going out and saying, all right, no, we, we need to restore abortion rights in Ohio. And that's what we're going to do. So that was the entire intention of it. It was a way for Republicans to sabotage that particular constitutional amendment on the November ballot through a separate ballot initiative. And this is something they tried to hold in the middle of the summer because they knew no one would come out and vote and everybody came out and voted. Exactly. Right. And that's what's astonishing about it. So not only was it positive in terms of bodily autonomy and restoring abortion rights in Ohio, but as David Pepper tweeted right after the it was announced that Ohio issue one had failed, he's looking at this as the first portend of a blue wave for 2024, that this could be a signal that because of the Dobbs decision, it could be another great election, another great general election in 2024 for Democrats. And that obviously would include, yeah, don't get happy. Obviously don't that's get, the ongoing do not get happy. No, Do not get happy. Yeah, absolutely do not. On top of it, I'm so encouraged by the fact that ballot initiatives appear to be a successful thing that is actually happening in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Wasn't I talking about that coming out of the uh, the 2020 election and yeah. especially last year when the Dobbs decision dropped and you're looking at poll after poll after poll showing huge support for bodily autonomy and uh, pro-choice legislation, ma maintaining Roe v. Wade and so on, plus huge popular support for things like assault weapons bans and background checks and more uh, gun control laws. But of course, red state legislatures are so heavily gerrymandered that changing the balance of power in those legislatures is almost impossible. So how do you get around that? Well, the only way to do it really is ballot initiatives mm -hmm. where, do, where you completely circumvent the Republican government in a lot of these red states where ballot initiatives are possible. 
So that's all very, very encouraging to see that succeed and more like but this. I don't understand. Please. I mean, the Republicans, are, they have eyes. They can read. Surely they're seeing that this is not, not a popular thing, that they are flying in the wrong direction. But they seem determined to strap themselves to that fucking bomb. Yeah. And uh, like DeSantis, like his whole like, you know, no verbs, no nouns and the word woke. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> approach to, uh, like taking out this de- democratically elected district attorney or prosecutor. It's like, no, this is not what America wants, which makes me nervous because they seem so overconfident. Yeah. yeah. Like they're swaggering, like they've got some kind of ace in the hole that's going to ensure that America sucks up this fascism. But it's really not taking so far. Yeah, there's a cognitive dissonance when you listen to Republican messaging right now because they're wrapping both arms and both legs around Donald Trump and humping away. They love that. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing with the Dobbs decision. Laura Ingram was on TV the other night saying, yes, we need to double down on this. We need to expand restrictions on reproductive rights and so on. Well, fine, keep going. It's, uh, who am I to argue with Laura Ingram on that front? Yes. Yeah, please. never interrupt your enemy when they're in the process of making a mistake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's this conflict between their messaging and what could actually happen because of that messaging. It's like the party is committing suicide and they don't realize it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The perils of being in an information silo. Yeah, right. Is that, you know, you don't really understand how badly this is playing to people outside the room. Uh, And I hope that they will, yeah, like you said, well, on the one hand, I hope that they keep marginalizing themselves and turning the majority of Americans against them. But on the other hand, this kind of reckless and vicious othering of women who have abortions and trans people is going to result in violence. Well, and then, of course, we've seen some of that. We're going to talk about this guy, uh, Craig Robertson, here in a little bit. Because violence seems to be where this is all leading. But who are we talking about here? We're talking about people who are mostly incompetent. We're talking about cosplayers. I mean, we've all seen the video of Oath Keepers or whoever that, maybe this Patriot Front, where they're out in the woods and they're doing like calisthenics and Mm -hmm. military drills. But it just looks like that kid from, you know, right, right around the time of the Phantom Menace coming out, who was, who was that, like, that lightsaber kid? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't remember the kid's name, but it was a huge viral video 20 years ago. See, I'm going to a reference from 20 years ago to illustrate this. But that's kind of what they're doing. They're pretending. They don't really understand the scope of what they're demanding. Like I saw, I don't know, it was Good Liars or something like that on Twitter, and there was some woman they were interviewing who was like, oh, yes, there's totally going to be a civil war. We're going to fight, and we're going to fight in the streets, and we're going to fight in the the the, the. Yeah, Like, well, you're that. not going to, are, are you, you're going to do this? And this guy, Craig Robertson, d- doesn't even look like he Until the batteries on your, like, mobility scooter die, yeah, you'll be on the front <laughs> lines, lady. Yeah, well, and this guy, Craig Robertson, doesn't look like he could run a half a block without having a heart attack. You know, someone tweeted the other day, you know how you win the Civil War against the Red Hats? You just cut off their supply of Lipitor and just wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had. Oh, man. I wish I had the name of whoever tweeted that. I forget who it was. But thank you for that one. That was really good. Um, but, yeah, this guy, Craig Robertson, threatened to assassinate Joe Biden on Facebook 
And he was amassing a huge stockpile of weapons. He had all the cosplay gear, the helmets, the flak jackets, the ammunition, and he was ready to roll. In fact, just two days ago, he posted this. He said, hey, FBI, you still monitoring my social media? Checking so I can be sure to have a loaded gun handy in case you drop by again. And that was just a couple of days before the FBI did show up. And there was a firefight, and this guy ended up getting shot and killed. This is when we reached the find out portion of our program. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. But the, the crazy thing coming out of this, and it's not that crazy, it's not that surprising, but the Republicans are now defending this guy. Yeah. Like, this guy's going to be the new Kyle Rittenhouse. Yep. Like, for example... Uh, yeah, well, he won't be going to court. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. So Glenn Beck tweeted this, and this is just an example of what all Republicans are saying right now. He said, I'm seeing the government do things I've never seen in my 40 plus years of broadcasting. People have mailed credible threats to presidents for years. They've rightly been investigated for it, but I've never seen the FBI gun anybody down for it ever. He started the gunfight. Of course he did. Of course he did. But see, this is the thing about having a bubble audience. But see, the they FBI is discriminating against conservatives. When he shot at them, they should have given him a hot cup of cocoa and a blanket. Yes, yeah. of course. And taken him to Burger King for a meal. But what they want their people to believe is, first of all, if you say that the entire traditional press is in league, in conspiracy, in cahoots with the deep state, then no one's going to believe anything that comes out officially. So then you can pump into that bubble all of the nonsense. So you can actually tell millions of people that the FBI just went into this guy's house and shot him point blank, and the people will believe that. Because they don't believe the deep state. They don't believe the press at all. Even if there's an official video that comes out, they just say, well, that's fake. That can be faked. We're going to fake that. I know we're going deep into a rabbit hole here with the whole cult aspect of this. But this is how we end up in a situation where half the country or half the voting population, I should say, doesn't have any respect for any of the factual reality that the rest of us are dealing with. So consequently, they can be pumped with all kinds of nonsense and bullshit from their guys, from guys like uh, Glenn Beck and Donald Trump. And they'll sit there and look you straight in the eye and say, fire is cold, water is dry. (laughs) <laughs> right. I, I was my old guitar player used to sing. He go white cat talking out the light of day, which is blackbird backwards. Oh yeah, yeah. What instead of blackbird, it's white cat. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know, but it's like you're so far off that everything you're saying is 180 degrees from the truth. Yeah, and I find that one of the challenges is to not take that to heart because I can understand how you people would hear that and go. Well, am I going insane? And that's the definition of gaslighting. I, I feel like I'm going crazy. Is that really what's happening? No, it can't possibly be. Because we have objective reality. And there are ways to verify objective reality. But these people don't even have any respect for those processes, the fact-checking and, and so on. It's just, as, it's just been completely no, they just eliminated. they harder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. And I think one of the reasons is, is they're so desperately afraid of being proved wrong. They're so desperately afraid of finding out at some point or another that they've been conned. And so they're... Have you heard about this Hanania guy? Is it Richard Hanania? Robert Hanania? I don't know. 
Oh, this um, is he's okay. a guy that got outed as a former V Dare and like Stormfront poster who's currently like very high in Republican think tanks and is a visiting scholar at the mm-hmm. University of Texas at Austin. Yeah. But he wrote an essay on his Substack saying, you know, I wrote a bunch of really extreme shit when I was young and unemployed and uh, had no meaningful, you know, uh, personal relationships. And uh, he's like, I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. I just said a lot of racist and extreme shit because I was angry and 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 I just I was like. Okay, whatever. But then again, I'm like, this is how we re- rehabilitate the incels. This yeah. is how we bring these crazy people back into the fold. We give them the top two tiers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. which are, you know, the whole thing about like the bottom tier is like food and water and then shelter and then clothing. And the top two tiers are like self-actualization, which for two things you need for that, something to do and someone to love. <clears throat> By the way, the ju- uh, Jack Smith has uh, submitted a, of rule filing to the court asking for a January 2nd trial date for the um, January 6th case. Oh, interesting. So let's talk about the Jack Smith thing. Let's talk about uh, how he managed to subpoena Trump's Twitter account, which is a fascinating story because uh, Elon Musk did his very, very best to block Jack Smith from getting Trump's Twitter account to the point where he ended up spending $350,000 in penalties, in contempt penalties, in order to block the government from getting that information uh, from Trump's account. And uh, what's fascinating about that, too, is that Elon has complied with 83% of censorship requests from authoritarian governments. Of course. But he resisted this one from Jack Smith and had to pay Mm -hmm. whatever it was, $50,000 a day in contempt penalties. Elon, fucking look at that guy and know that you are intellectually overmatched here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Elon Musk, the the frivolous, like, completely unserious, non-public intellectual, is trying to go up against a guy who's built his entire life around the law. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly, like, uh, is laser-focused and, yeah. No, step down, Elon. <laughs> it's This is really about Donald Trump's DMs. Yep. Because if you have access to mm. his entire account, you have access to his DMs as well. Yep. And as what we know from these people is that they're dumb, dumb, dumb crooks. Yeah. They're right. the dumbest crooks in the history of dumb crooks. And oh what that means is I'm sure they said some stupid shit in the form of DMs. Also, it answers the longstanding questions about authorship of tweets because it records, it geolocates your exact location when you're tweeting. We will yeah. be able to know, like, who actually tweeted what. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And that will be fun and informative. But what I want to know is what was said behind the scenes with regard to the 2020 election. Right. What were people saying, people who had access to that account? Because what we know is Dan Scavino had access to the account. Dan Scavino was yep. basically Trump's social media guy. Yep. Plus, didn't Paul Manafort use drafts or something to communicate ideas to someone without, you know, sort of under the radar? He might have. Wasn't that a thing? I know that, hmm. like, David Petraeus, for example, carried on an entire affair using draft Gmail emails where nothing was sent. It was just two people had access to the same account and could just look in the draft folder and see all the messages there. So oh, is that possible? kind of smart. Yeah. Is that, 
<laughs> so of course, taking- now that everybody knows it, I mean, every person who searches a computer ever for now at the end of time will be doing that. But it, yeah. Yeah. So you taking notes, David? Is that what you, it sounded like? Hey, that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> no, it just means if I ever go hack into somebody's computer, it's the first place I'm looking is the draft folder. In the oh, yeah, place. yeah, yeah. And so obviously this could turn up all kinds of evidence that will further impugn Donald Trump, which is also really, really great. And yeah, of course, we'll find out some of the uh, behind the scenes aspects of how that particular Twitter account was maintained. But the thing I keep thinking about is, would Jack Smith have gone after Trump's Twitter account if it had remained deactivated and not even in existence? Right. And the fact that Elon Musk reinstated it just a couple of weeks after he took over Twitter. <laughs> and it was, I think it was like seven days after Trump declared his candidacy for 2024. Right. His Twitter account was reinstated. If it hadn't been reinstated, would Jack Smith have gone after it? I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe why Elon fought it so hard. Yeah. He's like, oh, shit. I just called it. You know, I just narked out Trump. Right, right. To the feds. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a thing. I don't know. But it could be that Elon Musk completely screwed Donald Trump by reinstating his Twitter account. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a, that's a possibility. Because from the outside, you think, okay, well, the, the account has been taken down, so therefore there's no, there's no more information in there. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's a bit of a stretch <laughs> to, to suggest that, but I think it's something that needs to be a consideration on the table. Um, it just, it's a gigantic clusterfuck and of course emphasizes the fact that Elon Musk is out to somehow defend Donald Trump. I don't believe that there's necessarily any, uh, coordination between Trump and Elon Musk. I just think it's one of those deals where Elon Musk likes the chaos that Donald Trump brings. Elon Musk is a agent of chaos and Donald Trump is all about chaos. Plus, Donald Trump and Twitter kind of go hand in hand in a sense. And I think for a long time, Elon Musk was desperate to get Trump to come back to Twitter. So there's that. Uh, And plus, Donald Trump seems to believe or is at least saying publicly that he only just now found out about it. And it's possible he found out about it, what, a month or two ago. But he didn't find out about it when it happened because there was a court order making sure that Twitter didn't reveal to Donald Trump that the subpoena had happened and that they were turning over his account to Jack Smith. No wonder they did that. He's already tried to destroy subpoenaed evidence once. Do you think that they're going to tell him that they're subpoenaing more evidence that he could very easily go in and delete? Yep. Yeah, he would totally drain the pool into his Twitter account. Stupid idiots. Oh, my God. So I've got uh, a few clips of Donald Trump here uh, that we're going to play here in just a second. There's one that I'm going to open up to the room and say, what the hell is Donald Trump talking about? (laughs) I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think, (laughs) yes, this is completely inexplicable. Something about destroying documents, uh, Mm, deleting. Projection much? Yes, exactly. I think that's one good explanation. And plus, uh, Trump talking about how he'd rather be in France how he'd rather not even be. I know he hates in- America. Yes, this is one of those things that jumped off the s- screen for me when I first saw this clip because those of us who lived through the 2004 presidential campaign mm-hmm. are hearing this and going, "How can he possibly 
get away with this. If John Kerry had said what we're about to no play from Donald Trump, that would have been the the thing that we would have. It, it never would have died. We'd still be hearing about John Kerry and how he hates America. Oh my God! Well, that and a whole lot more coming up right after these words. Welding instructor Alex Declare knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Piercy, uh, one of my favorite songs that we've played here in the rotation of indie recording artists. It's a song called Gunstock. Yeah, link in the description, of course, to support Logan Piercy. And uh, naturally, bobseska.com slash music to submit your work to the show. Thank you. God, this is a great song. So let's sit and listen to this for a bit. You're stopping, you're just passing by on your way. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back kinda, into things here. It has an optimistic feel to it. You know, it does. Like, yeah, it really yeah, is. It's yeah. kind of beautiful. Like, it's going to be okay. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what the hell is Donald Trump talking about here? I think this is, uh, God, this clip is with Botox victim Eric Bowling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who pick uh, Eric Bowling? Yeah, who had to have the disclaimer on after the interview? Yes, that's right. Which is just such horseshit, by the way, because no one listens to that part of it. And besides, the people who are watching whatever network, whatever copycat little teeny tiny network Eric Bowling is on now, they're watching that and going, "Well, of course he has to say that because of the deep state." They don't because care. of the lawsuit they lost. <laughs> we know the truth, of course. But the reaction, I'm sure, from the Red Hats is, oh, he's got to say that because that's just, you know, it's got the deep state is going to come down on him if he doesn't. And Why does the deep state talk like Jombie from Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> I don't know. It's my stupid deep state uh, voice. Uh, okay, so I think this is the clip. Let me just make sure. Yeah. Okay, so figure out what Donald Trump is saying here. They're doing this type of thing. And you're answering indictments and, and arraignments. Well, it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible. And and I'm answering them not for that. I'm answering because I question an election. Not only question, I, I totally dispute that election. I think it's ridiculous what happened and that they allowed that to happen and that Who's the media they? doesn't want anybody to talk about it. Yeah, I know. Who's they, right? Who's us. They? It's us. <laughs> Oh, okay. He specifically means Bob and the Goth Ninja. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Got it. But now we can. And we did something uh, yesterday, you know, now oh, that the we fucking have... fucking sniffing. Yeah. Uh, 
so gross. So much oh, Adderall. So, so much. It's so much British Sudafed. What's is that yeah. one of the theories? Yeah, it's the British Sudafed. That to happen, and that the media doesn't want anybody to talk about it. But now we can, and we did something uh, yesterday. You know, now that we have the subpoena power, because we now have subpoena power. Subpoena power. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have subpoena power. No, no, he does no, not. No, 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 no. He has the he has the right to look at their discovery. Yes, but he has no right. subpoena power. This is nonsense. Let's continue here. All of a sudden, the J6 committee, the unselects, I call them, everything was. And by the way, what the fuck is an unselect? I don't. Know. I, he's been being here. a first grader and just having to be like you're stinky or just whatever. Like I mean, it's like it's a. He's so petty. Yeah. He's so he's like fucking like Richard Petty the Fourth, or he's like Petty fucking Crocker. Like I mean, he's like the pettiest man <laughs> on the planet, and so he can't even say people's names and no. let them go by without mm-hmm. resorting to like playground bully like nahism. He's thinking of the Uncola. Remember the seven. I remember the Uncola the commercials Un-Cola. with Punjab, the guy that played Punjab and Annie. Yeah. Committee, the unselects I call them. Everything was deleted and destroyed. The documents, everything was deleted and destroyed. No, what? See that? I don't know what that is. In fact, Hal Sparks and I have been trying to chase this down for the last 24 hours. What the hell is Donald Trump talking about? Usually the crap that he comes up with has some sort of basis in some right wing, far right red hat website or something or a podcast. Like someone blurted something and then he's kind of taking it and extrapolating it out into something else. But there's not even that. The only thing that we could come up with is um, this guy on Twitter, William Tullock, replied to my and Hal's conversation about this. And he said, and this I think is the best guess. I think it might be that the official committee website with the evidence link was shut down, but the evidence is still available elsewhere. So maybe Donald Trump's talking about a, a website? Maybe. Uh, I, uh, maybe. I don't know. But it seems to make sense if it's true. I don't know. But it's it's still not a thing. It doesn't matter. They're not. They didn't delete the evidence. If there was a website and they took access, the website down. Yeah. yeah. They just deleted the public access to it. But that doesn't mean he can't look, get the evidence if he needed it. If the court allowed it. <laughs> and besides, this is not about the January 6th committee. It's not about the uh, the unselects. This is about. A com- mm, I think this is the sound of a blood clot just traversing the blood-brain barrier, and just running him off into the bushes for a minute. Into right. something he doesn't even know what's going on. It just seems like something that might have happened. So. All right. Well, let's see. Let's see if there's any more context in the rest of what he says here. If that's a criminal act. Not. So all of that stuff, all well, that nonsense you watch for a year and a half go on with all Democrats and two so-called Republicans, but they were worse than any of the Democrats, Kinzinger and Cheney. Uh, it's all been deleted petty, and gotten rid petty, of. Petty. They deleted it because they didn't want anybody to see it because the real answers were there, but they didn't want to report it. Uh, that's incredible. And they're doing. Okay, that's it for that clip. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the hell any of that was. So post your guesses in the uh, comments under this episode on Patreon or something yes, like that. Yes, help us, please. Yes, I because I can't make heads or tails of this. Other than to say maybe Maybe he thinks it's the 33,000 Hillary Clinton emails? I don't know. Or th- maybe he's doing a thing where he and Walt Nauda or whoever destroyed some of the top secret documents. And then he's going to say in court that he didn't do that, that the Jack Smith's team, the grand jury, destroyed the documents. 
I don't know what. I, I, it's some kind of either projection or misinterpretation of something else, but I can't figure out what that other thing is. It's one of those lies that he tells that's completely incomprehensible. Like, what, is he just making this up? Is he just, I mean, it's possible that he just went, okay, what do I say? Um, the January 6th committee deleted all their documents, which right. absolutely did not happen. <laughs> just can't happen. Anyway, so there's that. Um, meantime, Trump said he's going to talk about the case, irrespective of whether there's a protective order. I'm yep. looking forward to this. Here, let's play yep. this clip. I think this was uh, during, he did a rally or a fundraiser. I think it was either Sunday night or Monday night. Super duper sweaty, just dripping yeah. with sweat and saying that he doesn't care whether there's a protective order. He's going to say what he wants to say because they're violating his First Amendment rights. Yeah. So this is all about election all. interference, yeah. but that isn't quite good enough. Crooked Joe now wants the thug oh prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't no. speak. Mm -mm. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. There you go, David. There's... <laughs> we don't want you to speak. <laughs> Eventually he's going to like fly south for the winter and go live in Cuba. <laughs> so that I can't speak. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. The case. The case is... is a ridiculous case. It's a First Amendment case. But we don't want Trump to speak. So they want me, they take away your rights on First Amendment. Now they sue because they're, so now I have one of these lunatic reporters back there saying, sir, we'd like to talk to you about your case. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Somehow that's not good for votes. Do you agree? When we say, I can't talk, I'd love to, t I will talk about it. I will. They're not taking away my First Amendment rights. Good. Please do. So, keep talking. The case, the case, a female deer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. Uh, I hope he does. I hope he keeps talking. Because first there's going to be a fine, and then there's going to be jail time. Yep. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect, we've got to calibrate our expectations on this. I'm not expecting that if Donald Trump violates the protective order, which will probably happen tomorrow. Right that he will go to jail. I don't think he'll go to jail. I think they'll fine him first. And then if he does it again, that's jail time. Yeah. And it'll maybe be overnight or for a couple of nights. But if you did it to Paris Hilton, they can do it to that bitch. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. It's also possible that he's talking a big game and he's not going to say a goddamn thing. Because ultimately, Donald Trump, what is he? He's a coward. Yep. He's a whiny diaper baby who will cave under pressure when it comes right down to it. But he has all the self-control of a border collie on crystal meth. Yeah, I mean, imagine him being in jail and not having access to uh, his Aquanet and his face makeup and his giant shoulder pads, his pillowy shoulder pads. He's going to be a mess in there. And that's whether he in goes to jail for contempt or what, yeah. Of Nancy Pelosi. You look miserable. Yeah. <laughs> you look miserable. He's a scared puppy. He is. <laughs> That's what he is. Okay, uh, more to come on the show. Back with uh, more podcast right after these words. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours, 
Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Bob Seska plays more music. Sammy Garrett and a song called The Fall featuring the great Freak Bass. Yeah. Sammy's amazing. You gotta go download her work, support her music. She's one of the best of the best. Absolutely. Link in the description as always. Go to this episode at bobsuska.com dated 8-10-23. Click that link, scroll on down, and you can find links to uh, download this song, The Fall by Sammy Garrett and also Logan Piercy's Gunstock. Please do it. Got to support the independent music here on the show. All right. Uh, Those of us who lived through the 2004 presidential campaign uh, know the pain and suffering of that that ordeal. Yes. Where you had John Kerry, who was uh, wounded several Mm -hmm. times in Vietnam, got decorated because of his heroism. Was uh, was a recipient of a purple heart, couple purple hearts, I think. And uh, was then therefore framed by the Republican Party as being weak and a feat and yep. yeah, <laughs> just with the terrorists and all the rest of the nonsense that was happening in 2004. They were talking about how, well, he speaks fluent French, so he can't possibly be American. You know, because the French opposed the invasion of Iraq. Smartly, Which- by the way. Yeah. yeah, he should have anticipated that 50 years ago when he took high school French. That he should have known those cheese-eating surrender monkeys were going to betray <laughs> him in the end, and he should have studied German like a proper American. <laughs> cheese-eating surrender monkeys. It's been so many years since I've heard that phrase. <laughs> I love that. Okay, that might be the title of today's show. Uh, but here's Donald Trump with an interesting quote from the same sweaty rally he did the other night talking about how he'd rather be in the south of France because he doesn't like America right yeah. now. He's an America hater. He's an America hater. Oh, my God. Listen to this. They know it's a phony story. They say he's going to go to jail. These are not these are not Mrs. Lewandowski. You hear that? Can you imagine if that with these kids? Can you imagine what? Look what your husband got me into. I could have been relaxing at Mar-a-Lago or in the south of France, which I would prefer being in this country, frankly. I would prefer to being in this country, frankly. Did they get an applause line on that, or did they? Did nobody say anything? No, nobody said anything. 
No, they're like, France has a South. I thought they were liberals. That's right. Do they have pecan logs in the South of France? Uh, are there po' boy sandwiches in the South of France? Um, but imagine if John Kerry had said that. No, I'd rather be in the South of France because I'd rather not be here, frankly. Imagine or relaxing that. at my exclusive club. Yes, that they're not in invited Palm to Palm Beach, Florida. Right. Yeah, like. yeah. The the club that the poorers can't afford to right. attend, right? Which is most of Donald Trump's supporters. Mm-hmm. I would say the vast majority, what ninety nine percent of Donald Trump supporters can't afford to visit Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or Trump Doral or any of these other oh, no. bedbug-infested places. This grates at my nerves so much, knowing what they put war hero John Kerry through yep. in 2004. I was an America hater. You know, John Kerry seems French. That was an actual, you remember that, David. John Kerry seems French. No, I mean, uh, I really like... This was remember. I mean, it, we're we're frustrated now that the Democratic Party seems out of touch in their messaging and living in the past. But do you remember in two thousand four we were like, hit back, hit yeah. back. You are running against <laughs> yeah. the son of a millionaire who was given company after company that he broke and walked away from, and yeah. you are portraying a Vietnam veteran as being out of touch and a feat. Yeah, gang, pull it together. But I really feel like the you know mainstream. Media, so to speak, they really played along with that. They loved they that narrative. Well, and that's, and they pushed it at every opportunity. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking specifically of the press here, and certainly the Democrats at that point in time could have pushed back. There was a decision by the Kerry campaign not to push back against the Swift boaters in 2004. Okay. That was and dumb. Gigantic. You're exactly right, Jody. Gigantic mistake. Uh, but it was one of those things where it really wouldn't have mattered. Because the press was so wrapped around that concept. God, I remember one time on MSNBC, there was one of those panels where they had like, I don't know, four or five or six different boxes on the screen at the same time. One of the boxes was Pat Buchanan, and another box was Lawrence O'Donnell. And I remember Pat Buchanan repeating all the swift boat lies about John Kerry. And Lawrence O'Donnell interrupting Pat Buchanan and just going off, repeatedly screaming, you're a liar. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. You're lying. And he just he wouldn't stop. And, you know, and he had he got that, his Irish up. Oh, yeah. yeah. He had that. Long, You're a bloody liar. You're a no good man. You know? <laughs> yeah. He, he had that uh, that look on his face, that look that Lawrence O'Donnell can do where you just you just don't want to piss him off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no, you're so glad he's not your principal and you're not in high school. Like, I'm sorry, Mr. O'Donnell, I won't do it. You know, like. <laughs> Stop the hammering. <laughs> he's so in person, though. He's like the nicest human being. I got to meet him once at Stephanie's. Oh, yeah. Lawrence O'Donnell is one so of the kind, best So kind, so lovely. People. Yes. And his A block. And I've been watching yeah. a lot of Lawrence yeah. O'Donnell. He's, he's maybe my favorite person on MSNBC. No one trolls Donald Trump better than Lawrence O'Donnell. Oh, very true. Plus, <laughs> he's got that gift for creating that salient argument that cuts through all the nonsense yep. and is just like, look what I've got. Neener, neener. Try to, back, <laughs> try to swat this one down. Good luck. But I just... I don't yeah, want to. Weisenberg's like I like don't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> 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 
That's exactly right. It's Weissman, isn't it? Andrew Weissman. He always sounds a little stoned to me because he's got a certain kind of accent that it's just so easily going yeah. to like, whoa. Yeah. Like, it, That's a completely random legal argument, man. Well, <laughs> he's another yeah. smart one. But whenever uh, Andrew oh, yeah. Weissman comes on, I always go, you know... <laughs> He's got that that accent. Exactly. See, you know, you know I'm you know, super high. <laughs> totally. Is my audio on? Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, meantime, Donald Trump went after. This is an amazing thing, and I, I want to resist the urge to go after Donald Trump's weight in context of this. Right. But Donald Trump attacked Chris Christie's weight at that of same sweaty rally. Let's listen to a little bit of this here. No, no, Christie's, he's eating right now. He can't be bothered. The nerve. <laughs> the nerve. The nerve. Yeah. Sir, please do not call him a fat pig. That's very disrespectful. Don't call him. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Don't call him a fat pig. You can't do it. You can't do that. So now, because you're not allowed to do that, and therefore uh, we're not going to do it, okay? We okay. want to be very simple, right? We just did right? it, okay. Okay, so. it says the man with a fucking waddle like a wild turkey. Yeah. You know, the man whose chin just, like, vanishes into a fold, like a band of bacon underneath the skin <laughs> around his neck, you know? I mean, yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. You fucking girdle wearing. But then he's like, he could have just said, oh, he's eating. And that would have been the joke. But he's such a fucking grade schooler yeah. that he's got to keep going. Right. He's right. got to call him a fat pig. Yeah. And it's just like, God, he's so disgusting. That's Donald he, Trump's and thing. He's he, infantile. And it just. Yeah. He's like human toe jam. Like he's so <laughs> repulsive that it just, it's disgusting that he's even there. He sees the line. And he feels as though he's or he's compelled to step right over that line. And that's what's going to get him in trouble with his protective order, by the way. Mm -hmm. is, and that's one of the reasons why there's a protective order being discussed in the first place, because he felt like, OK, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. You can't draw a line in the sand and expect me to stay on one side of it. No fucking way. I'm just going to, you know, kerplunk right over that line. And that's what he did. He threatened people, but when threatening he ever witnesses. Faced any consequences? He doesn't understand that he's in new territory now. He doesn't understand that. Motherfucker, he's out on bail. Yeah. You don't have the same rights as a regular citizen when you're out on bail. You were out conditional on the judge's pleasure. Right. You know, like you pay your bail, but the judge can yank you back in there anytime they want. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, ugh. Yeah, the double standard here. And if he was just like any other American who had done the same things, he would be under the jail right now, awaiting mm -hmm. trial. Yeah. Well, next he's going to tease anyone who wears obvious face makeup or pillowy shoulder pads or hilariously self-satirical right. hair helmets. You know what I mean? That's going to be his next thing. Like, oh my god, that guy with his hair. Have you seen his hair? It's ridiculous looking. His stupid hair. Yeah. Okay. F what? <laughs> What are you saying, Mr. The Weirdest Fucking Hair in the World? God, okay. I'm so fucking sick of that. God damn it. I know. I know. I, I was it's just, just a... <sighs> I can't wait till he's no longer part of the political scene. Alive? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I just want to hear that dirt fall on that lid, baby. Yeah. Well, meantime, uh, if it's up to the cheese bro, this is going to be an open and shut case. Because Ken Cheesebro spilled all the beans in writing like an idiot. There's a secret yep. memo that uh, Cheesebro wrote up in the lead up to January 6th 
Uh, it says here, according to New York Times, while that basic plan itself was already known, the plan outlined in uh, this document, and it's really, the document is about uh, the fake electors and Mike Pence stopping the counting of the electoral votes and so on. While the basic plan itself was already known, the document described by prosecutors as the fraudulent elector memo provides new details about how it originated and was discussed behind the scenes. Among those details is Mr. Cheesebro's proposed messaging strategy to explain why pro-Trump electors were meeting in states where Mr. Biden was declared the winner. The campaign would present that step as, quote, a routine measure that is necessary to ensure that the correct electoral slate could be counted by Congress if courts or legislatures later concluded that Mr. Trump had actually won those states. So that's it in in black and white. And uh, Allison Gill from Mueller, she wrote, presented a couple of interesting different sections of this memo. And she wrote here on Twitter, the thing that stands out to me the most in the newly obtained Cheesebro memo is the part where he says, we got to act like this is normal. So put your idiots on TV and admit to the coup so it seems routine to normalize what they knew to be illegal. Yep. So item number two. Is that a direct quote? Yeah, well, no, that's from Mueller, she wrote. That's from Allison Gill. But I'm about to read the quote from the memo. So it's item number two, messaging about the December 14 vote as routine. If the Trump campaign ends up deciding to have all of its electors vote on December 14, even in states in which Trump has not been declared the winner, presumably word of this will leak out prior to December 14. So perhaps before then, there should be messaging that presents this as a routine measure that is necessary to ensure that in the event the courts or state legislatures were to later conclude that Trump actually won the state, the correct electoral slate can be counted in Congress in January. So essentially what we're talking about here is, oh yes, this crazy thing that we're going to do, we got to make sure we frame it as routine. We got to make sure that we say that this is absolutely normal, even though it's not normal and it's against the law. And remember, the idea of conspiring to do this is equal to actually doing it in terms of the penalties, in terms of breaking the law. So the very fact that they talked about this, they talked about breaking the law by interrupting the counting of the electoral votes and they broke the law by conspiring to put forth these fake electors circumventing the process that is in of itself against the law even though they actually didn't try to count the fake electors even though mike pence didn't actually pause the counting of the electoral votes on january 6th it's like attempted murder exactly right Exactly right. And that's what you know, if, if the teller doesn't give you the money, you still tried to rob the bank. Yeah, right, right. right. So meantime, uh, on the Georgia front, Fonnie Willis is expected to seek more than a dozen indictments. <laughs> mm. um, and so she's going to go before the grand jury either. What is it today? Is it Thursday that they do that or any day now and we're going to probably hear sometime next week right after one of our shows i'm sure and uh and she's gonna have the grand jury vote on these 12 indictments or it's it's gonna be at least a dozen indictments yeah um but meantime donald trump has decided God, to start- i hope lindsey graham is in there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah fingers crossed but meantime donald trump has launched an ad campaign smearing Fonnie willis and remember the rule that donald trump always makes things worse mm. for donald trump 
she's not going to take this sitting down. <laughs> you know, she's already said that these allegations that she apparently had an affair with a, a drug kingpin or something like that, which is just absolute nonsense. It's completely made up. And besides, once again, like the Chris Christie thing, this is Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump who fucked Stormy Daniels while Melania Trump was pregnant with Baron Trump. This is Donald Trump, who's the arbiter of morality, right? Good God. So uh, she actually put out a memo to assistant district attorneys and said, you may not comment in any way on the ad or any of the negativity that may be expressed against me, your colleagues, this office in the coming days, weeks or months. So she's taken the high road, at least publicly. Because this is like a deliberate attempt at jury tampering, you know, and like changing the jury pool and like influencing witnesses. And, you know, it just to me, like she's just going to throw that on top of the charges. Yeah. She's running this ad in Georgia, in Fulton County. So it's polluting the jury pool is what it's really doing. And uh, and so naturally, that's what his plan is. They can't win. And it's an amazing thing to observe, irrespective of what, what case this is. They can't win based on defending themselves on the merits of the case. Right. They, they have nothing to say about the individual counts. They just have this bullshit propaganda about First Amendment rights and Fonnie Willis and her personal life or whatever Donald Trump is saying that's a lie about her and so on and so on and so on. They can't possibly <laughs> uh, find anything that would exculpate Donald Trump uh, based on the facts. Well, they're trying to say that violent crime increased by 60% on her watch, but they're comparing 2020 to 2022. Yeah, exactly. You can't so, do like, that. Everybody was inside in 2020, and then in 2022, things were normal again. So, yeah, it increased because it had fallen off. Yep. But that's, you know, how you lie with statistics. So, um, let's see what else here. Oh, yeah, one last thing here before we wrap up the show. Evangelical pastors... Uh, and their disciples are starting to abandon Jesus. Yep. This he's is weak, you know. Yes, he's weak. This is incredible. Super weak. Yes. So suddenly Jesus is too weak for the MAGA movement. Russell, what? Yeah, this is according to media. Russell Moore, the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, spoke to All Things Considered uh, and sounded the alarm on the state of evangelical Christianity in America. Moore, who was once a top official in the Southern Baptist Convention, declared Christianity in the U.S. to be in crisis, arguing that the church has become tribalized and factionalized along with the rest of American society. He said, it was the result of having multiple pastors tell me, essentially, the same story about quoting the Sermon on the Mount, which those of us who are fans of Mr. John Fugelsang know that that's a common refrain from him in terms of turning the other cheek, etc., to have someone come up after and say, where did you get those liberal talking points? So they're talking about turning the other cheek and someone comes up from the congregation and said, where'd you get those liberal talking points? Oh. <laughs> and what was alarming- the new fucking testament. Yeah. yeah. And then Moore said, and what was alarming to me is that in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, the response would not be, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. And when we get to the point where the teachings of Jesus himself are seen as subversive to us, then we're in crisis. 
Wow. Yeah, it's not like the name of your entire faith is Christianity. Like, I mean, that's not. <sighs> yeah. 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 Well, here's the secret to all of this. Keep retweeting John Fugelsang. Always. Get those Jesus quotes out there. Because it was only a matter of time that these ideas from the actual Bible, from the New Testament, would begin to seep into the reality of evangelical far-right Christians in this country. And now it, it actually is to the point where they're like, oh shit, and steam starts shooting out of their ears like Uncle Fester. Like, how do we square this in our heads? How do we square what we're being told by our political leaders with what we're being told by Jesus, you know, in the Bible? Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of our religion known as Christianity. And they're like, okay, well, that Christian thing, that's weak. That's too weak. What are they, it's becoming this, this weird offshoot of uh, like Old Testament Christianity. Or cr- it's not Christo- Christianity, that's Judaism. And yeah. so, but they don't like Jews either. So I don't well, know where they're going to go. Yeah, they continue to identify as Christians, but all that matters to them is Leviticus. And that's Old Testament. They, yeah. We threw that out, being Christians. Yeah. That's not, I mean, it's part of the Bible, certainly, but. Eh. Maybe they should just <laughs> change their t- change the name of their religion to Leviticans. Mm-hmm. Or. And that's a great idea. That's what they are. Yeah, they should start identifying as Leviticans. Because that's what it's all about. But good luck uh, avoiding the pork. Yeah. <laughs> good luck following the rules. Yeah, the exactly. Shellfish, shellfish and all sorts of things are supposed to be. Two different kinds of fabric at once. Uh huh. Yeah. So leave that leather jacket at home unless you're wearing leather underwear. It's, it's <laughs> amazing how the propaganda is painting them all into a corner. Yeah. Where everything is conflicting, nothing is consistent. And it's just deeply confusing. And I think that's one of the things, I've been talking about this for a while now, I think that's one of the things that's driving them nuts. I think that's one of the drivers of the American nervous breakdown. I agree. Conflicting ideas. Like reality is crashing up against the propaganda and disinformation that they're reading on the internet. Yep. And so they're going indiscriminately bananas in department (laughs) stores and streets, certainly in Montgomery, Alabama. And we're going to talk about that on the Shadow Docket coming up here. Patreon.com slash Bob Seska Show. Sign up for $5 a month and you can keep listening to the Shadow Docket. See you over there, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.